Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Community Radio WERU and Mabel Wadsworth Center, a feminist, client-centered, sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we speak with local experts to explore issues that impact our sexual and reproductive health. Topics include, but aren't limited to, reproductive rights, access to health care, feminism, LGBTQ rights, and women's sexuality. We wrap up each show with our Ask Mabel segment, where we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. For more information on Mabel Wadsworth Center or to listen to past episodes, visit MabelWadsworth.org. You can also find Reproductive Left on WERU.org in the archives, on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for tuning in. Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in. On June 22nd, as part of Bangor Pride Week, we held a Lunch and Learn Questions and Answers program at Mabel Wadsworth Center, where I sat down with our nurse practitioner, Lindsay Piper, to ask her a few questions related to LGBTQ healthcare. Following our conversation, we left space for the attendees to ask questions. We recorded the event for our Reproductive Left listeners. My name's Abby Strout. I am the Director of Education and Community Engagement here at the Center, and I use the pronouns she, her, and hers. Thank you all for being here today and coming to get to know our center a little bit better and our nurse practitioner, Lindsay. I'm going to just give a little history of the center before we go into the questions for Lindsay, and then we'll open it up to questions from all of you for her. So Mabel's was founded in 1984, and it was in direct response to Ronald Reagan as president threatening a a gag rule, which um, that was that if clinics or organizations accepted federal funding, they wouldn't be able to talk about all pregnancy options, including abortion. Um, At that time, our founders decided there needed to be a clinic in the Bangor area that was independent and free from any of those strings that come along with federal funding. So that's how we started. So we are an independent clinic. We're not associated with any hospitals or any national affiliates. So like Planned Parenthood, we're, we're completely independent. Um, and our organization really started from conversations around a kitchen table that then built into a comprehensive sexual and reproductive health care center. Um, And Mabel Wadsworth herself, a lot of people don't know about her, but she was a feminist pioneer in this community. Um, She was a nurse practitioner, and my favorite story about her is that she used to go door-to-door where she would see diapers hanging on on their clothesline and say, hey, do you want to learn about spacing your pregnancies? And then she would offer them information about birth control. And this was a time when you didn't really talk about birth control. So... um, and then additionally, she was the person that got um, the, the federal, actually, she was the person that got federal funding for birth control, he brought it up to Bangor, Maine area, and offered those services, which is kind of funny since she's our namesake and now we refuse federal funding. <laughs> but um, of course, we do accept federal funding for reimbursements from insurances like Maine Care or Medicaid. The other piece that was really important to the founding of our center was that um, one of our founders would always tell the story that she worked at Family Planning Services, and she had a 
um, a client who would come in year after year for her annual exam and to talk about her birth control. She's the diaphragm. And one one year she came in and, and Ruth said, oh, and how's the diaphragm going? And she said, you know, actually, I'm a lesbian and I don't need the diaphragm, but I thought to get my annual exam at family planning, I needed to come in for birth control. So that was the other piece that that, that led them to decide there needs to be a clinic that's very clear that we're a safe and welcoming place for lesbian women. And then throughout the years, we have changed and opened our doors to the entire LGBTQ plus community. And what has really changed is recently our name. So we were Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. Um, and to reflect the changes in our organization, we are now, as of January 2017, Mabel Wadsworth Center. And that was a um, decision we made so that everybody feels welcome, welcome here at our clinic. That's a little bit about our history. If you've seen our logo, we, we're Mabel Wadsworth Center, feminist, local, and independent. So I talked a little bit about the independent piece. Um, the local piece is that we are just really invested in our community. That's why we participate in things like Pride Week um, and engage in just however we can with our community and feel really proud to be part of the Bangor and greater Bangor area. And then we're also feminist, and that was to make sure that with our name change we didn't lose our feminist roots, that we really believe in gender equality, empowerment, and a client-centered approach to our health care. Um, and then in addition to providing health care, we, so we do educational and outreach to the community. And obviously we have to do some advocacy since our, our, the issues we care about seem to be controversial in our world today. So um, after, I'm going to ask Lindsay a few questions. And after, you can ask us any health care related question or questions about the center itself. So. Um, the first thing for Lindsay is that I didn't tell her about this question, so <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if before we get into the other questions, if you can just talk about yourself a little bit, how you got into the world of nurse practitioners and um, why, why this work matters to you. Oh, great. Um, sure, certainly. Thanks for coming. <clears throat> so I um, went to college to study medicine. Um, and I had a pretty clear, I was, you know, a, a pre-med student and wanted to go into um, sexual and reproductive health. That was kind of what I'd had in mind. Um, however, as can happen in college, I took a little detour um, by way of activism, and I got very involved in the campus um, rape crisis response uh, organization, and from there kind of branched out into other um, forms of activism. Interestingly, all of them, for me, seemed always quite related to health. Um, and so then, um, as I was kind of changing my major, like, gee, you know, biology is not as, that's not where it's at. You know, look at this, all this other cool stuff that I could be learning about. Um, I took a great course about um, sociology of women's health, and, and part of our class requirement was to do an internship. And so I was fortunate um, enough to have a feminist health center. It was called the Feminist Health Center um, in my community, so I did an internship there. I was trained as an HIV and STI counselor um, and helped with their walk-in treatment clinic um, and then 
was asked to um, come on board as a staff member and so um, started getting involved in their abortion care. And then I, you know, sort of wondered, geez, how do I, how do I couple my great interest in human biology um, and wanting to care for individuals and, while also doing this feminist activism that seems to ignite me and seems to be so important, you know, to making the world a better place for everybody. And, well, I, I became aware of the role of the nurse practitioner at um, the Feminist Health Center. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, so you could work at a feminist health center and, and see patients. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, so then I, you know, moved to Boston and pretended I was an artist and slung coffee for a while and, you know, just rode my bike around and was young and it was great. And then I met somebody who was actually going back to school to pursue sort of a, a career in healthcare. And I said, oh, well, you're cute. I want to take classes with you. So um, so, we, so I signed up for organic chemistry. And I was like, oh, right, I really love science. Um, and then um, from there, you know, enrolled back into a, a master's program for um, studying to be a nurse practitioner. And the reason I chose the school that I did was because one of the um, – one of the professors at one of their open houses talked about nursing care as um, feminist and being feminist. And I was like, well, of course, God, that makes so much sense. It's client-centered. That's the nursing model. Um, and that's kind of, how, you know, if I, if I am to do health care, I don't want to work in any old place. I want to work at, like, a feminist health center. That's what I want to do. And so, you know, it took me a little longer to get here just because I had to do some hours at other less feministy places, but I learned some stuff and that was cool and here I am. But, so that's about my career. I, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's not most of what I do. Most of what I do is hang out with my wife and our kids. <laughs> like That's like the majority of what I do. <laughs> but while I'm here, I, th I think only about my patients. So... <laughs> <laughs> so as you were just describing how you got here, you mentioned the importance of client-centered mm -hmm. care. Do you mind just, we use that word a lot, and I'd love it if you could describe what that means in, in a little more detail. Sure. Well, so when somebody presents with a healthcare issue, it's not a textbook presenting with like, I have problem A and therefore solution B. It's just not that simple. Somebody's presenting with their own um, agenda, with their own um, emotional experiences that they're bringing with them to the table, um, and their experience of whatever healthcare issue or illness that that they're coming, they're seeking help for. And so, including all of those things into the visit versus just like, oh, you have this. This is the solution for it. All of that other stuff is hugely important, if not more important than the actual health care issue itself, because if I don't listen to that and um, incorporate that into the way that I'm, I'm helping the client, then I'm going to be missing the boat on achieving their full and best treatment. Um, even if I give them the correct recommendation based on science and evidence, okay, that's all well and good. Um, but if somebody doesn't feel heard, um, or if I miss an aspect of their history because I haven't been focusing on them specifically, um, then I may not, you know, fully solve whatever is going on for them. Well, I mean, that's not, that's not realistic that I'm going to fully solve what's going on for somebody, but, but yeah, just including who the person is as an individual, um, in the care plan. And also not to mention, Hey, we met 
for 20 minutes, but you're with yourself 24 hours a day, so you probably know you a lot better than I do in this 20 minutes, you know? So um, I feel like sort of respecting a person's um, individual um, self-knowledge is hugely important. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of how I view patient-centered care. And I went to school, yes. I have a degree, yes. I have a prescription pad, yes. All of those things are true. And it doesn't make me better or more important or whatever. It, it makes me um, have a set of skills and a bank of knowledge that I'm now to use in service of my patients. Um, yeah, I just read some different books than you did. So let me tell you what I know and then see where you're at with that. Yeah. Actually, you mentioned this too. So why is it so important for a provider to get an accurate medical history? Well, um, I think if a client doesn't feel fully comfortable telling me their full medical history, then there may be aspects of, um, you know, their life circumstances that make a certain treatment plan not going to be possible for them. Um, And I think of that, you know, can be really true for um, contraception. You know, if we're like, all right, here's the plan, cool. And then they're kind of like, well, that's not realistic for me at all. Well, you know, what kind of, what wasn't I gathering for information to know that that wasn't a good recommendation for that patient? Um, Or if somebody's coming in for testing for a sexually transmitted infection, you know, if they're kind of like, cool, I'm a woman and I have sex with men. Oh, great. Okay, pee in a cup and and you're good to go. Well, geez, what if that person is only an anally receptive partner? I haven't, I haven't picked up on the um, bacteria that they're potentially harboring somewhere else, you know, so, um, you know, just really simple things like that. Um, I'm not able, I I wouldn't be able to help achieve their fullest health if I'm not getting an accurate history. And so I guess I would encourage patients to be empowered. um, and, And that's not always hard, because there can sometimes be a power differential when you're dealing with healthcare providers. Um, but but if to the extent that you can be empowered to kind of say, hey, by the way, I have some more information that you might, you know, and again, I'm not encouraging patients to feel like they have to be the educators of providers. However, you know, we all know the world that we live in. And so maybe that is the case sometimes. And um, yeah, so just to encourage people to be open and honest and um, so that the healthcare provider can provide the best care for you. Because, I mean, honestly, most people do go into healthcare because they really genuinely want to help people. Um, you know, just like systems are set up that people get really busy and maybe aren't as good of listeners as they wish they were. <laughs> so a lot of what we do at Maple Wazer Center is PAP tests. It's a very important service that we offer the community. Um, so I had to ask a question about PAPs. Um, well, maybe you can explain what a pap test is and then also who needs to get them and why. Right. So a pap test um, traditionally was a scraping of um, cells from a cervix, and um, that's to then look at those cells under a microscope um, to determine if they appear normal. And if they appear abnormal, what we know is that... Um, there's the potential for them to become cancerous. Now, cervical cancer is very slow-growing, um, so it's not like, a, oh, you get this abnormal pap, and then this weekend you're going to be on chemo. It's not like that. Um, 
so that's uh, it, it's a you know for most places it's a, a soft brush that takes a sample of cells off of somebody's cervix and makes sure that the cells aren't abnormal um, and there is also anal papping that is done um, in some facilities in Maine and definitely in larger city areas um, and it's not very dissimilar to a cervical pap um, again to look at the um, cell changes to make sure that they don't look too abnormal or if they do to follow them more closely so who needs pap testing um, so certainly anybody who has a cervix it's recommended that um, by your early 20s we start um, getting that um, cancer screening done uh, every few years if things are normal and then as far as anal papping guidelines go, there aren't um, as well-established, clear guidelines. Um, and so it's hard to really know what, you know, is recommended, um, you know, and research, more research is to be done. So currently what a lot of people are doing is if um, people are in a certain risk uh, category, whether it's who their partners are or the type of sex that they have or their history of cervical abnormality. Um, they're recommending every one to two years for that as well. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a cancer screening, um, essentially, to catch something before it becomes something worse. I'm going to ask a follow-up question yeah. to that. If someone's had a hysterectomy, do they still need to get pap tests? Maybe. It depends. Uh, so it depends on the reason for the hysterectomy. A hysterectomy is the removal of um, a uterus. Now, not everybody has their cervix removed when they have a hysterectomy, um, and that sort of maintains pelvic floor integrity to leave the cervix intact. Um, so if you continue to have a cervix, yeah, sure, we should still do cervical cancer screening because um, that body part is still there and it could still get a virus that could cause cancer. Um, now, for people who have a total, you know, hysterectomy, um, cervix gone and everything, and there was not a reason due to cancer for that to happen, then no, we, we don't need to do that. Um, but if somebody has a hysterectomy due to cancer reasons, then yes, we do need to continue following that person. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about sexually transmitted infections. Could you talk about how you test for them? Depending on the um, test that we're looking for, um, a lot of the screening can be done um, fully closed, which might be a relief to a lot of people. Um, so uh, a lot of tests can be done through urine samples or oral swabs or finger sticks. Um, and uh, really, the only tests that I actually would need to see somebody's genital area would be if they're having specific symptoms on those body parts. Um, and, you know, things that come to mind would be like an ulcer, which we'd want to make sure, you know, is that herpes, is that syphilis, you know, what, what is that symptom, or um, warts or some kind of lesion like that, warts or molluscum. Um, but again, they, we don't have tests for those things that are great tests without somebody coming in presenting with actual symptoms. Um, so yeah, finger sticks, blood work, oral swab, pee in a cup. Yeah, that's how we do it. 
And can you walk us through what a typical appointment is like at Mabel Wadsworth Center? Well, I, I actually have to amend my last. So, oh. so if some, so if somebody's orally receptive, we could also do throat swabs or anally receptive. Then we could also do um, those swabs as well. So that, w- depending on you know sex acts and behavior uh, behaviors, um, then it might require pants off or some kind of yeah. Anyway, so that was my amendment. <laughs> And now you can walk us through an appointment. Walk through a typical appointment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you'll um, have to buzz in, state your name, make sure that you're you're here for an appointment and not to be anything else. And um, <laughs> check in with our lovely folks at the front desk. Um, and then when you're waiting here in the waiting room, one of our staff um, who, um, well, geez, neither Aaron nor Jill are here, but... You'll, you'd be lucky to know them. They'll come out and um, check you in, uh, go over your health history with you that, you're, that you've filled out while you're waiting here um, in the waiting room, blood pressure, get a urine sample as needed, um, answer quick questions that they're available to answer, um, check a weight uh, if that's what you want um, or are needing for that particular visit. Um, and then hang out in one of the rooms until either Terry, the other nurse practitioner, or I um, can come in and see you. And depending on the type of visit, it really, it, it really, you know, is it a kind of 100% counseling visit? You know, are we just going to talk and answer questions? Is it a visit where you need a particular symptom addressed? Um, is it a well body exam where I'm going to, you know, you don't have any worrisome symptoms. I'm just going to listen to your heart and lungs and do whatever cancer screenings are due that year. Um, so that's kind of the general overview. Um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So now I'd love to open it up to you all to ask Lindsay any questions or any questions about the center as well. So, What's the difference between... Um, between an exam with a female who's had a full hysterectomy, cervix removed and everything, and, a, and an exam down there for somebody who's had uh, full gender reassignment surgery, is it treated the same exact? Like vaginal, vulvoplasty, et cetera? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, um, the additional aspect of a full exam would be to do a prostate exam, you know, starting at age 50. Um, but, I mean, you don't, if you don't have a cervix, you don't need a cervical pap or, you know, or anything like that. Um, for people who don't have cervical tissue to begin with or after surgery, um, like I said, unless there was a cancerous uh, reason to have that surgery, then I haven't read that it's necessary. Now, we can certainly do a vaginal pap, um, or if I see lesions on somebody's vulva, I would, I would pursue that, you know, if it looked, because HPV can certainly cause vaginal and vulvar cancer, but to far fewer numbers than, um, with cervical cancer. And again, you know, geez, if any tissue looks, um, not like I think it should look, then I'm uh, going to biopsy it. So you've talked a lot about um, kind of getting abnormal results on a pap test. Can you talk a little bit more about, like, the follow-up procedure that happens if you do get, like, abnormal cells? Yeah. Yep. Um, so depending on somebody's age and depending on how abnormal 
it was, the follow-up may simply be to come back next year and see if your immune system has taken care of that, which typically is what happens for young and healthy people. Um, That is the normal course of things, is that your immune system, whether it takes a year or two, um, is very likely to get rid of those abnormal cells, render human papillomavirus ineffective, um, and so we don't always go directly to other uh, diagnostics. Now, again, depending on what level of abnormal the results were. Um, if the results were more abnormal, um, then we follow up more um, quickly with what's called a colposcopy, and that uh, is, is a visual exam with an instrument that can help the clinician look at those um, not the cells because it's not microscopic, but look at the tissue um, at much greater uh, magnification so that we can determine are there changes on um, the cervix that warrant a biopsy um, for further diagnostics. And then from there, it would help us determine what kind of treatment is needed or or watch and wait kind of thing. Um, what I can say about cervical dysplasia or abnormal cells is the most important thing that you can do to, you're not going to avoid it. If you're going to be a sexually active human being, viruses love the human body. Let's just all get comfortable with the fact that we're going to have them. Like that's just true. Um, And, you know, yeah, use your barriers to decrease that potential. And we all know that it's not 100%. So either you could decide that you're going to be forever abstinent or you can just have sex with your eyes open, you know, knowing that, cool, okay, viruses are a part of this. Let's do the next right thing, which is get our screenings, get our testings, et cetera. Um, so what can you do for your health to make sure that your cervix or, or if you have anal dysplasia or something like that, you could stop smoking. You, you could just not start smoking because that is a big, bad, terrible thing to do to your lungs, into your cardiovascular system, and certainly um, to your cervix. And um, gosh, viruses just love the way that cigarettes hurt our immune system and make them more powerful to continue doing what they do to our bodies. So like if you think about smoking one cigarette yourself, that's like, this is like super crude, but I've definitely heard this and kind of repeated it among oncology circles that it's like your cervix is smoking 10 cigarettes. Um, So it's just not a great idea. I mean, I don't think that people smoke because they think it's good for you, but but that's definitely one of the big things that you can do to maintain that health or improve it. Can you just tell us more about your approach to working with clients who are interested in transitioning using hormones? Um, For example, I know some providers might require that they visit a therapist first. And can you just tell us more about how you work with people? Sure. Yep. So we're called an informed consent clinic. Um, And I I don't see um, gender-affirming care as as terribly dissimilar to, say, someone seeking an abortion um, because you you are living with your body and, and your choices. And like I said, you know better what's going on for your life and what you probably need than I do. And, and I'm here to provide a service. Now, that's not to say it's sort of like a no holds barred anybody who walks in the door. If, if there are questions or concerns that it may or may not be the best course of treatment, then I'll certainly encourage people to get um, mental health support. But by and large, you know, most people who present here seeking hormones have given a lot of deep thought 
to it and are just happy to, to find somebody who's willing to see them. Um, now, I encourage people certainly to have support, whether it's if they have a strong network of friends and family or somebody professional, um, you know, just because our culture is a little bit funny when it comes to people trying to be themselves somehow. So it's nice to have support when trying to do that. Um, yeah, or just to help people navigate the complexities of being human. But yeah, no, it's not necessary for a letter of endorsement um, for most people who come here. Yeah. I think the answer is yes, but do you also work with folks about different options for reproduction um, that maybe aren't typically offered? Like if folks are interested in pursuing pregnancy mm-hmm. on testosterone mm-hmm. or like working with clients who might want to use a cryobank yep. before oh, yeah. going on estrogen? Or- for sure. Yeah, we've definitely been navigating those um, areas with our clients. Yeah, yeah, we, I can provide intrauterine insemination here for people, or I can help with referrals to cryobanks for banking pre-treatment or, you know, helping people taper off of treatment or go off of treatment to see if their fertility has maintained. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy and excited to help people make families when they want to and how they want to or not if they don't want to (laughs) that's it for today thank you for tuning in if you have a question for ask mabel visit our new and improved website mabelwadsworth.org and click on contact us Thank you for listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can find them on WERU.org in the archives or at MabelWadsworth.org. You can also find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or through whatever podcast app you use. Tune in next month at our new time, the first Wednesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Right here at Community Radio WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, or at WERU.org.